Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/spoken today. It's Friday, July the 7th, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast wrap of the week from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan, Pat Leahy and Jennifer Bray are here. Hello to you both. Good afternoon. Hello, Hugh. The weekend's almost upon us. Jennifer, are we all totally exhausted with the RTE story at this point? Well, me personally, yes, 100%. Okay, I'm absolutely exhausted. But no, I think... um Look, it has dominated the airwaves and the newspapers and the headlines for more than two weeks now. It was yesterday, it was Thursday, two weeks ago that the story first broke. Um, and I know that there's a feeling in government, there's a piece I'm working on for tomorrow's paper, kind of a long read looking back at the, the scandal and how it developed. Does that mean you're not finished it yet? I'm not finished it yet, sorry. <laughs> I should say it is 12.40pm. Plenty of time left. Plenty of time. I'm going to go around half an hour till deadline. But um, as part of that piece, I, I had to ring around a lot of people in government um, yesterday evening to find out what was what were their feelings about it. And there is definitely is an exhaustion creeping in. I think there's a lot of politicians, a lot of ministers who feel like it, we're reaching overkill territory and that RTE is kind of self-destructing in a way and self-flagellating. Um, and I think possibly that there are a lot of people who have followed the news over the last week who agree. There are other things going on. However, if you look at what happened um, on the day of the Oireachtas media hearing, I think it was Wednesday, all these days mould into one this week. But the way that the revelations were coming out was actually faster than I could type. I mean, the documents that were coming in and what was in them, I actually couldn't keep up. Like, I was going cross-eyed. Um, let, and I, let the record show that Jennifer is a pretty quick typist. Fastest fingers in the West, I've been told. But um, no, but it, I think that's the problem with it, was that it was every, every half an hour there was something new. So... You know, we found out on Tuesday evening, we knew, I think Pat got word and we were talking about it on, on Tuesday evening in the politics team, something big is brewing. The RTE board are, are, have been in a lengthy meeting, word was filtering out to politicians, something big was going to come out. Throughout that night, and we had it on our front page the next morning, and the next morning there was this like drip drip of documents. And all of a sudden we have these big stories in very quick succession. So like the first one was, there not, there's not one barter account, there are three. And then it was Toy Show, Toy Show Musical, there was a loss of 2.2 million in its first year. And then we were like, well, here are the actual accounts and they're buying five grand on flip-flops and, you know, all that kind of stuff, which is less the point of the story, but still interesting. Um, and this was happening like every half an hour. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, Ryan Tobody's going to appear next week along with Noel Kelly. This was the pace. So I think when you have those kind of revelations, it is naturally going to dominate the headlines. And I have to say, I know for a fact that the figures of readership on the Irish Times website are quite high. People like story. this stuff. They do, like there's an interest. 
People are interested in this story. It's also an important story. And I wrote a column last week saying there's other things going on in the world as well that we might, you know, pay a bit of attention to. But there's no doubt that people are interested in this story. And and more than that, I think people are a little invested in this story because they do feel a personal relationship with many of the RTE, uh, with many of the RTE stars, and they feel a certain ownership of uh, of RTE. So the level of, uh, I, mean, I was making the point in a piece the other day, if you talk to politicians about this, I'm Jen, I'm sure we'll bear this out. They say, and politicians are in in touch with people. Okay, the evidence is anecdotal, but politicians, in a way, live by sorting the signal from the noise amidst yep. all the anecdotes. And they say that people are talking about nothing else and they are really interested and invested in this story. So I think this is going to continue at least for another week and not least because we will have the, you know, Ryan Tuberty and his agent in it to... We'll finally have Hamlet on, with the Prince. The uh, central Tuesday. character will, be, will the, be showing up. If you yep. think the tickets for Taylor Swift are hard to come by, I'd say oh, find yourself to get into... <laughs> get into that committee room. Yeah, and also you've got got Kevin Backhurst um, actually officially taking up his job on Monday and he's flagged that he's going to introduce changes and I suspect that he's going to announce those pretty quickly by by his demeanour. probably have a new executive board by Monday evening, I suspect. That's that's, that's, that's certainly what it looks like. Or vastly vastly changed executive board yeah. Yeah. so the momentum yeah. won't slacken at all so there'll be a third week of, third week of the story it, it does seem to be within this and you know I'm kind of torn because in a way this is right in my wheelhouse I'm the arts editor and we do a politics podcast and this sometimes is we forget where you that this is just a sideline for you it, it is it is it's a nixer actually it's a nixer I have uh, that's why I have the large car parked in the, in the, in the basement um, it's behave yourselves everyone <laughs> so I mean I, and I've always been interested in, in kind of media in Ireland and how it works and it has never been more at the at the centre of the news agenda than it is now. I do think that some of these elements are, you know, they're They'll be gone in a in a few days. All this flip flops business is good fun, but it's really it, it doesn't really make any great difference. Well, having said that, I did another podcast which just went up this morning in the news, which was all about um, the toy show, the musical. So there are many strands to this story, and some of them definitely have some legs. Uh, I mean, I think there's, I think there seems to be there's two elements of the story, two, two, two branches of the story. One is a lot more important than uh, the other. The first branch of the story, the less important one, is actually what happened. You know, what are the nuts and bolts of the, you know, the arrangement with Ryan Tuberty? Was anybody else previously in, re- in receipt of, uh, of similar top-ups? Uh, you know, the whole, you know, Baroque story of the barter account and its uh, and its many peccadillos. Uh, you know, I think that we're all going to have loads of fun in uh, excavating that over the coming weeks. But in a way, we know the big thing about that side of the story, which is that there was an organised deception by RTE, a deception intended to uh, to take in not just the public but the politicians uh, who were making funding decisions uh, about uh, RTE. How that came to happen is an important part of the story, but we know the big fact of the story. The other side of the story is the more forward-looking one, and that is what now for RTE? Because it seems to me that, and I know this is a, there is a fear amongst more kind of far-sighted people in government that I've spoken to about a financial crisis in RTE sooner or later. I asked the Taoiseach about this yesterday in a press conference and uh, and he said, well, you know, if 
and he kind of basically sketched out what that might look like. He said, if there is a drop-off in licence fee income, if there is a, a drop-off in commercial fee uh, income, both of which seem not unlikely uh, to me, he said, then, you know, we'll, we'll have to... You know, we'll have to deal with that uh, when it comes. But what, pol- what a lot of politicians say is that, you know, a new funding round for RTE now is more or less a political impossibility. So what that is going to mean is that there is a sort of a new settlement for RTE into the future. And maybe that doesn't come down the line until these reviews are gone. That could be, uh, that could be as, uh, as, as late as, uh, as next year. But RTE might be in financial trouble before that. And if it cannot get extra funding from whatever source, then it's going to have to cut its costs. And that is going to be very painful for lots of people uh, at, the, uh, at the station, I suspect. Another part of this, I think, from a political perspective, which is obviously the lens of which we're looking at it, Jen, is that I suspect that the Oireachtas committees, the two media, the media committee and the public accounts committee got viewership figures, which they've never had before over the last couple of weeks. And watching it myself, I wondered what all the people who are coming tuning into this for the first time. I know you guys have attended more of these things than you have had hot breakfasts. Uh, I've been at a couple of them myself. Um, what, do, what, what do you think the general public made of them? Well, hmm, okay. Let me just tell you the perspective that I've been given by friends and family who don't really have an overwhelming interest in politics or certainly what I do be writing about. Um, and they tuned into them because they were genuinely interested in kind of box office hearings uh, in, in a sense. And actually, the, the feedback that I got was not so great on the politicians, actually. A lot of people... You say that with surprise. Yeah, I don't, well, I'm not surprised, okay? I'm not surprised because I said this on the, this podcast this day last week. The The hearings that I hate the absolute most are the ones when the politicians go in and they're just giving it absolute loads and they're just shouting, but they're not actually asking proper questions. Like, they're not making a tangible, coherent point and it drives me bonkers. Um, and I think a lot of people who tuned into these hearings probably were learning this for the first time, that a lot of politicians are doing it for the airtime, for the perception to be seen, to be angry. You know, it's the aesthetic of it. Performative outrage. Performative outrage, yeah, exactly. Um and I think there's actually a big difference between the two committees. Um, and I'm not trying to be harsh on the media committee. I genuinely believe that the people at the Public Accounts Committee perform better in terms of the questions that they asked. I got the impression from people watching some politicians, not all, some of them were very good, um, that some of them didn't quite know the subject matter and that they were kind of flailing around a little bit. I think there was one comment at one stage about how, well, I hope that everything becomes clear. It's like, well, that's what you're there for, to try and make things a little bit clear. Basically, what I'm saying is I don't think the committees have covered themselves entirely in glory 100% of the time. And I do think people who were tuning in were going, what is all of this? You know, um, having said that, the, the website crashed a few times and next week's one, I'd say, will be the, the most watched crashed, committee yeah. in the history of the Oireachtas there, probably. Is, is there sort of a ranking among committees? I get the impression the Public Accounts Committee is sort of in the first division, the Premier League of committees, and maybe the media one, not so much in, yeah, terms, so. Of, in terms of performance. Having said that, I think Verona Murphy, I'm, I think I'm right in saying, was on the Public Accounts Committee and I thought her performance was pretty appalling. That's actually one of the people who I'm talking about a little bit. I mean, and I have time for Verona, you know, I think she raised really important issues in the doll and all that kind of stuff. But I think her performance in the committee, actually, I struggled to understand, like, what is the point that she was making? And it went on for quite some time. And I had people texting me, her watching the committees going, what? 
what's that? Um, so, yeah, I, I mean... I was keeping an eye on the media committee. I mean, I didn't sit through all of it, but I, I sat through some of it. I had it on in the office um, uh, on the monitor in Leinster House um, for for the rest of the time. And it went on for almost six hours. Yeah. I thought it could usefully have been done in maybe a third of the time. I think there is a better than evens chance is that that, that the Oireachtas Committee is completely overdo it. And I think their members need to, I mean, at the moment, you, you could ask why there's two committees looking at the thing at all, you know, but I think the members will have to put a good bit of thought uh, into their uh, performances and their presentations. Are they capable next, of doing next that? Week. I'd have I my doubts most, having looked at it. Some of them, to be are. fair, I, I don't entirely agree with the same brush. Yeah, yeah. Some people were, were, you know, were more forensic. 100%. But, you know, six hours, as you say, it could have been done in two hours. And even within two hours, you could have had more close scrutiny and more pointed questions within that. Yeah, I think of, they should bit, use bit the time between now and then to, to, to prepare for it. I mean, this is cynical old political acquaintance of mine who who suggested to me at the start of this that, you know, with with if an Oireachtas committee is inquiring into anything, there's a 50% chance that they'll make an arse of it. Um, if if two Oireachtas committees are inquiring into the same thing, then there's about a 90% chance that they'll make an arse of it. Now, I think that's a bit harsh and maybe not borne out by some of the good work that is done uh, on committees. But I do think that there is a chance they completely overdo it and if I were them, I would be yeah. trying to collaborate with one another to make sure that doesn't happen rather than using the platform and the profile. Uh, and is that the way these things work? Yeah, themselves. it is. And also the, it is how it works. You know, previously a lot of the um, TDs and, and sometimes senators in the committee would have deliberately um, fashioned their contribution uh, in such a way as to get on the 6-1 news. Now, this is obviously an RTE story, so I'm not, I'm not quite sure which way they landed this time. But there was another um, exchange during the week which went down two different ways, right? So I don't know whether you guys saw this. This was Imelda Munster, um, Sinn Féin TD, uh, who was uh, directly asking questions of Geraldine O'Leary, uh, who works in the commercial division. I think she's the head of commercial. And she was asking her about... Geraldine O'Leary bringing her husband to events that, you know, in terms of the wheeling and dealing of the advertising world and all that kind of stuff um, and about the spending on the barter account and she picked out different figures. I watched that exchange and I thought that exchange was fair enough. Now, Geraldine O'Leary did seem to become a little bit emotional. Um, she did seem to be kind of buckling a little bit under the pressure. And I can understand that as a human being. Like, I actually made a joke in the politics group the other day that I would rather fake my own death than turn up <laughs> to an Oireachtas committee. And I stand by that. Like, I would just go in there, confess, cry, run to the airport and go to Italy. <laughs> That'd be the end of it. But I think, like, in terms of that interaction, I thought, yeah, fair enough. Like, they're there to ask questions and people are human and they react a certain way. However, when I was researching this piece for tomorrow's paper, a couple of the politicians I spoke to said they thought that was bang out of order. They were like, that left a really bad taste in people's mouth. And Pat talked about anecdotes and how politicians rely on that. You know, there's the quality of, of their judgment on things. And they tell me what they're hearing from the public is that they did not like that interaction. Well, there were a number of things like that. And there were some quite strong letters to the paper, which made the case that some of the behaviour was, was really probably not acceptable. It was kind of, it was bullying. Uh, it was haranguing. Is, uh, yeah, there was, it, it there was, was some instances of people not being allowed to answer questions. People weren't allowed to answer asked, questions. Yeah, yeah. They were, it was a shouted at them that they were lying. You know, kind of stuff that you certainly wouldn't get away with if you didn't have privilege, uh, you know. And the committees have had problems with this sort of stuff in the past, haven't they? Yes, they had, and they, and they need to be careful. At the same time, 
you know, it's kind of big boys rules uh, at this level. And, you know, the RTE guys do have to answer. They've sure. got to answer for, for what was done either by them or by people uh, that they were closely involved in. And so, you know, I, I, you know, I think that's a job for the chair of whichever committee to make sure that the meeting is conducted in reasonable order. But, you know, I think the witnesses, the RT witnesses are going to, you know, they have to expect, you know, some treatment. I thought thought the line of questioning was fair. I actually, I've seen much worse than that. So it's just interesting. Well, it's interesting because, as we said at the outset, this one, there are tens of, probably hundreds of thousands of people who've never actually looked at one of these things before seeing them. So it is quite interesting. I went out to take out the bins the other day and two of my neighbours were like, did you see the committee? I was like, oh my God, (laughs) (laughs) you guys, get a life. No. Anyway, we'll move on. One of the things which completely, I think, passed nearly everybody by, which is normally a big news story at this time of year, was the summer economic statement. Um, what was in it? Anybody know? Uh, let me think. I can't remember. No, no. This, this is what is summer economic statement? It's but it's a document that comes out before the budget, which sets out how much money is in the envelope. Effectively, for us to summarise it in layman's terms, um, and um, it's pretty much broadly similar to last year. It's a little bit less. They broke their spending rule again. Um, last year they broke the spending rule because they were under huge pressure to deliver for households who were struggling under the weight of inflation and all their bills going up. This year it's a little bit less. The big question won't be the six point four billion or whatever it is they've put aside um, in spending and tax. Uh, it'll be the extra part, which is the one-off measures. Last year, they were worth $4 billion. Um, What will they be worth the same this year? We do not know. We'll have to see kind of what situation is coming into winter. But I think that's where all the political heat will be at now. Because um, we've heard politicians already say we need a 15-euro increase in welfare and we need a 20-euro increase in the pension. We need this, that and the other. And that's where the that's where I will be chasing my summer budget guides. <laughs> Just so you know. Well... So, Pat, the statement itself, we had Holly Holly Cairns in as part of our um, interviews with leaders of the small parties earlier this week, and she didn't seem to have any huge issues with the broad parameters of the statement itself. So, as Jennifer says, that seems to be kind of off the political agenda for nearly all the political uh, parties, and then they'll get stuck in when it comes to the detail of things, as you say, like like taxes and social transfers. Yeah, they will reserve the right to criticise, you know, parts of the manifestations of the government's broad economic policy. But actually, you know, you take maybe the parties of the far left uh, out of it. There is a broad consensus on economic policy um, uh, across the all, across people who are likely to be in government um, uh, at, at any rate. So, you know, kind of notable was, I thought, you know, the lack of focus on this from Sinn Féin. And I think that's interesting. I think it means a couple of things. First of all, you know, it, it means that there isn't, they are, that they don't see political opportunity in attacking the government on uh, economic policy, but also that their economic policy that would be followed by any government uh, led by Sinn Féin would be, while of course different in some respects, would not be broadly different uh, in terms of the the, the macro elements of uh, of economic policy. So, uh, you know, th- things like, you know, the saving of most or all of the windfall corporation tax uh, revenues, that is pretty much broadly ex- uh, So Irish consensus politics is alive and kicking. Yeah, it seems to be. Um, now, I, I think it, 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 it represents kind of... Uh, kind of a qualified victory for um, Pascal Donoghue, Michael McGrath within. I'm writing about this a bit in um, Saturday column tomorrow. 
Uh, and have you, you finished know, that was, column? I have actually, Jen. Unlike your feature, I filed it uh, some hours ago. As Damn. a matter of fact, so Be- before deadline. So to enable me, in fact, before deadline, not least because it yeah. is uh, Jennifer Collins' birthday today, or off wedding editor. Oh my god, backfired. Little, little birthday present. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the, the better to enable me, uh, Jennifer, to to prepare for today. Today's right. I'm embarrassed. So Forget I asked. He is a reproach to us all. So yeah, he does. Yeah. He does. He's too sharp um, for me. Sorry, but. Uh, yeah, so I, I think, you know, while there is a substantial increase in spending and a breaking of their own 5% rule, I think in the circumstances of a massive surplus and a push from across the political system for more spending on the particular areas, it's a peculiarity of Irish budget making that uh, while, you know, there is consensus across government and, and, you know, parts of the opposition on the broad parameters. Most individual ministers would think that it should apply to everybody else, that spending restraints should apply to everybody else. Uh, but but their, uh, their own case is, um, is certainly special. I think it'll be a fractious summer as people jockey for those one-offs and also for the limited amounts in spending. But actually, one of the things that people haven't really appreciated is that because the, like the inbuilt increases in necessary expenditure due to demographics are so significant that the amount of new recurring spending in the budget is actually going to be very, very little. So when ministers go in to their budget bilaterals and find out that the only thing in the numbers for them is the what's called the ELS, the existing level of uh, of service, I think you'll have some some pretty spiky Okay, that's interesting because there is a combination of two things that, you know, in the Irish economy, it's booming. Um, there is inflation still in the system and the population and the working population and the demands on schools and services are increasing because we have an increasing population. So you can't, you know, you have to take account of, of all those things, don't you? I mean, there are effectively not increases at all. I mean, Sure, but when you do that, then there's very little left, if anything, left for new spending initiatives that government that, that governments always want to do, or ministers always want to do and in their own that's, departments. That's, perhaps that's why Sinn Féin haven't necessarily been out, you know, kicking down the door, kind of saying, you know, this isn't good enough and we would do it differently because they know that that is the case. And this has always kind of been the, the situation every year in the budget. You know, you talk to ministers after they come out of their budget talks and their negotiations with the finance ministers and they say, I have this, you know, number of hundreds of millions or whatever, of billions, but that's all the same thing as last year. That's just the standing still cost and it's the extra part that they're always fighting for. And I think last year's budget, if I'm not mistaken, was one of the biggest in the history of the state. It was, yeah. It was 11 billion 11 extra billion. On, on the day, of which seven was recurring spending and uh, and four was in one-offs. Now, on the basis of the numbers published on Tuesday, actually, I lie, it was 6.9 and 4.1. Yeah, but it was 11 billion. Yeah. Well, it so should was, be the biggest in the history of the state because the state is bigger than it's ever been before. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So, and I think we'll have a very, I think we're going to have almost... I think it'll be quite similar. It's very similar. Be, well, already the similar, figures are similar. Relatively, that, that is, in the circumstances, that is relatively tight. It is, I think, about as much spending restraint, if you believe spending restraint is a good thing, it is about as much spending restraint as could reasonably be expected given... A, the stage we're at in the political cycle and B, the massive surpluses that the government has at yeah, its disposal. Yeah, but there's a, there's a political element to this too, obviously, of course, like beyond the figures and kind of prudence and all that. It's that balance between the elections looming next year um, and all of the demands and the heat that the politicians are feeling when they see in the polls Sinn Féin and the trend being 
broadly the same, poll by poll. Um, it has sort of flattened. It's flattened a little bit, which I think is very interesting, probably something we could get into again a little bit more. But there's there, there's that pressure, I think, on them to deliver. And then I have this mental image in my head and I keep calling them like you know, Prudent Pascal and Moderate Michael, trying to hold back the tide of all of the demands. And by all accounts, according to this uh, summary economic statement, they've They've done that so far. Can they continue to in the face of an election is the question. Elections, correction. Which we will continue to cover over the course of the summer and into the autumn when the actual budget itself will happen. Um, Just before we take a break, just to say my comment was a jocular one. I don't have a big shiny car in the basement because uh, I'm not a brand ambassador uh, for anything. And I just to... Just at this point, I need to come clean and say I bought my own Havianas. Um, <laughs> and they're very nice and very comfortable. I'd recommend them to anybody. And I do that out of the goodness of my own heart rather than being, uh, uh, um, rather, rather than advocating for them, Pat. How about you? What are your, what's your form of? Uh, well, I bought my own flip-flop. Havanas. I don't know what a Haviana Haviana is the, foot, the flip-flop, is it? It's the flip-flop. Right. It's very rather nice. than cigars. Very nice, very, yeah. very nice flip-flop. You, you, cigars, you're definitely not allowed to promote cigars these days. All right, well, I, I but anyway, not. all of that goes to say that we have Hat to make our money Monte in... Monte Cristo number four. Is we have to make our money in more upfront ways than that. And one way, one very important way we do that is by encouraging people to subscribe to the Irish Times, which if they have not already done so, please do so. Go to irishtimes.com slash subscribe. We'll be back after this. You're listening to the Irish Times. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. So Jennifer, I was looking at Justice Minister Helen McEntee on primetime on RT last night, and she was giving a stout defence of the um, hate crime and hate speech legislation, which has caused a bit of a kerfuffle in its passage through the Senate over the la- over the last few weeks. And there was a new story this week that it was uh, not deferred, but was certainly not going to be completed before the summer recess. And I also noticed a l- maybe a little bit of discomfort expressed by by a couple of members of the government parties about it. Yeah, so do you know that I made a comment earlier on about how does other things going on beyond RT? Well, in the midst of all the RTE-ness um, on Tuesday, I think it was either Tuesday or Wednesday, in the Shannad, um, this issue um, has arisen basically where there are a group of Fianna Fáil senators who have concerns, and we already know that senators have had concerns about the hate crime and hate speech bill. However, the sort of new piece of information was that there had been a conversation amongst the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party at large about this. Um, it's not just the Fianna Fáil senators, there are TDs who I talked to in the last few days who are genuinely spooked by the level of public anger, um, the calls that they're getting, the people who are there bumping into it in the street who do not like this bill. And they're making it very clear to the politicians, you need to do something about it. They're feeling that heat from the public. So I think what's happened is they've come together. They asked Jim O'Callaghan if to compile a document effectively with all of their concerns to bring it to Helen McEntee uh, and say, what are we going to do about this? So uh, next week is the last week of the Doll and the Shannon before the summer recess. Woohoo! Um, and um, now look, there's two, two schools of thought about this. The first one, 
every senator I've talked to said this was supposed to be discussed next week. Anyone you ask in the Department of Justice said absolutely wasn't. It was never formally proposed. I'm sure the truth is somewhere in the middle. Um, so let's just take it that theoretically it was supposed to be before the Shannon. That's not happening now. What is going to happen is Helen McEntee is going to meet with the, the Fianna Fáil politicians, probably other politicians too over the summer, to go through their concerns. And their concerns are many. They're around the definition of gender, the lack of definition of hate and hatred, um, and the demonstration test to prove that something was uh, effectively a hate crime or um, represents hate speech. So I don't think she's stepping back from her no she's not stepping back from her plan she's full square behind the bill or four square behind the bill but I think she was going to have to listen over the summer to these concerns um, her plan is to get this enacted by the end of the year I just am not sure about that and I, I don't think anyone's going to go overboard but I do think it's tricky territory This grassroots concern that these members of the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party are hearing is, is that generally something that, that is coming up from the grassroots? Or is this something that, you know, occupies the people of the country? Is it a particular political perspective? Is there a reason why it's Fianna Fáil and not Fine Gael? No, no, I don't think it's just Fianna Fáil. No, it's not. It's, no, it's, it's, a, it's, it's present yeah. in Fine Gael. It's present it's pre- actually mm. right across the political spectrum. Yeah. And one of the, the chief critics of the bill when it was going through the doll, which it did, by the way, without really without a whimper, was Paul Murphy of uh, people before profit. And obviously he's coming from a radically different perspective than Fianna Fáil backbenchers and Fianna Fáil senators are. So I think this thing is kind of one of those things that the more people examine it, the slightly queasier they get uh, about it. I'm not 100% sure that that's entirely justified, though some of the things that have been said, if we've discussed a couple of times here before, some of the things that have been said in support of the uh, uh, the hate crime and hate speech uh, Senator Pauline O'Reilly, are, for yeah, example. Are, are, you know, kind of, are not, I, I suspect, would arouse a great deal more opposition than is currently there, but are not, according to the minister, at least provided for in the bill. But I think she's going to have to, I think you will get at committee stage in the uh, in the Shannad, where you have people like Michael McDool interrogating it on a line-by-line basis, and that's what happens at the committee stage. It's just gone through second stage in the Shannad, which is, a, you know, speeches on the general principles of the bill. But the committee stage is where you really get into the sausage making and they go through every section of the bill line by line. I suspect that will take rather long time and I don't think this is one that, like they did with the Judicial Appointments Bill during the week in the Shannon, I don't think they'll be able to guillotine it and I suspect that this will take a long time in the Is this a culture war issue? Yeah, it is a bit. Yeah. I mean, like, it, like, it, it, yeah, it is a It's bit. cross-party, uh, it, it kind of breaks up the usual rules, but it's around th- these kinds of issues about, about speech, about gender, about various things like that. Yeah, but that. it is, because yeah. if you actually look at people who, you know, some of the, and I believe some of the criticism are genuine and valid, so I'm not raising any issue with that. People keep talking about Twitter. Can I say this on Twitter and can I say not? Twitter is where all the culture wars happen. Of course it's a culture war thing. And you know that that's the fact because so much of the criticism of this bill descends into talk of gender. To me, that says everything you need to know about whether it's a culture war thing. I'm not saying that's wrong or that's right. But you can't, you can't escape that. And but I think... There's a culture war. There is a culture war argument, of course, going on. But I'm not sure how directly related to the actual content of the bill 
that it is. And even in those comments by Paul, Pauline O'Reilly, she was talking about it, you know, making illegal to say things that make people, uh, you know, make people Upset. massively uncomfortable. No, no, no. I mean, that make them feel unsafe. Like, that is not what the bill actually does. Lots of people want may want to make that illegal, but that's not what the bill proposes to do. So a lot of the discussion that is taking place on uh, on, on, on Twitter is actually not related to the I totally agree. Of the bill. I totally agree. But I think it has become about a culture war thing, but the bill is not about culture war. But this discussion... This is, this is very often the case, though, with culture war yeah. arguments, isn't it? That, that something becomes symbolic in a way that the thing itself is not relevant. It's just, it's you know, it's a, it's a call to arms for, yeah. for people in culture Do you know what wars. would be great? You know, if, if they almost, well, I don't know whether they could do this or not, but even in, through informal channels, take a list of 10 controversial tweets from the last week. None of them will be mine. Um, and pick out which one is and isn't. Like, tell people exact show them. That is, that isn't. Most importantly, tell them which one is, because they're always saying that's not covered and that's not covered. Show us one that is. That's okay. what I'd like that's to a, know. That's a that's a very interesting suggestion. Uh, try and, try and is try it possible that up? the bill, given that it you know it has a series of protected people, protected uh, characteristics, protected characteristics, that we could add RTE presenters to the <laughs> list of protected characteristics? <laughs> Only Marty Morrissey, I think. Can we add me no, to the protected yeah. characteristics? I can't handle the heat on Twitter at all. I've got a whole beef about the bread protected characteristics, but this podcast would go on too long, so I'll leave it for, for another day. Um, we do always, at this time of week, select an article that took our notice and that we'd like to recommend to our listeners. Pat, what have you got? Yeah, so I, I picked a column yesterday uh, in our opinion pages by Newton Emerson, and um, he's talking uh, about, you know, the discussion about a United Ireland. It was uh, piggybacked on uh, another poll which suggested that the number of people who think in the Republic of the United Ireland in 10 years has fallen to 24%, down seven points from last year. And obviously we've done lots of polling uh, on this ourselves. But he's talking about, you know, this question of whether there needs to be a detailed discussion of what a united Ireland uh, would mean. And he, he points out that unionists avoid discussing the specifics of a united Ireland in the hope of making it less likely. But he says, canny nationalists do the same? in the hope of making it more likely. His view being that the more you discuss what a united Ireland would mean, that the less appealing it might be for uh, for, for so some people. So that's so interesting because Brendan O'Leary, who we've had on a number of times and hopefully we'll have on again, um, is very, very much of the opinion and is very erudite on this matter, international comparisons and all that, is that you really need to paint the picture in advance of what the what the. the the post-referendum New Ireland would look like yeah, before I, having a vote. Yeah, I don't think that Brendan is necessarily in conflict with what Newton is uh, is, is is writing about here because like Brendan's suggestion that you need to plan for something which is on the demographics going to become more likely can actually sit beside, you know, whether whether it makes it more or less likely. I think Brendan's argument would be that you need to prepare for it. Now, I think he would be of the of the view that uh, you know that that you prepare for it, you work it out, that can make it happen more smoothly, and that not doing it might make it happen in a way that was um, that was very disruptive or even uh, dangerous, or, or, or even dangerous. So, uh, I, I think Brendan would be in 
favour of teasing things out and, and planning for it, whether it made it more or less likely. But Newton, to go back to him, draws an interesting, um, draws an interesting parallel with Brexit. And of course, what you, people often say, particularly people who are, uh, you know, campaigning for United Ireland would say that failing to plan for it is irresponsible. Look what happened uh, with Brexit. And he says, this cliche contains a contradiction. Trying to plan for Brexit would probably have prevented it, which I think is an interesting point. I think it is very interesting indeed. My selection, I ventured into the business pages for a change uh, to our columnist, economist, John Fitzgerald. And he has a um, a piece which, which I've, I really did find very interesting. He's talking about the IDA, which is arguably the most successful organ of the Irish state over the last 50 years or so in the way that uh, it has transformed the country through the foreign direct investment which it has which it has brought to the country and the attendant prosperity. But he, he suggests that the IDA should perhaps start looking at what it does. Obviously, it's got this very simple objective, which is to bring more jobs in, preferably, you know, high value, high employment kind of jobs. But he points out that it has been so successful at this now that actually it's having a, a, a damaging effect on other parts of the economy. I mean, we know that you know bus errand can't get drivers, and the, you can't get mechanics to do the um, the NCT because they're all employed in in other areas. Uh, wages are being driven up. You're competing against these multinational companies. We're not building houses because we're building factories. So he's arguing, I think, that that the idea should basically cool its jets a little bit and um, perhaps get certain kinds of foreign direct investment in, but not the sort that requires large building that takes resources away from house building and other things we need. And I think that's that's very interesting, but it kind of contrasts then with what goes on in our editorial on the same subject today, where it's pointed out that the IDA is very particularly proud of what it calls, you know, a, a sort of deep investment that involves companies coming in and clearly making a commitment to being here for the long term by building factories and doing all that kind of stuff. And there's a sort of a conundrum there, but I think there probably is something in this verging on overheating economy that uh, that, that it might be time to start thinking again about what's generally been seen as a good thing. More jobs, always seen as a good news story for governments. Can't but, see Simon Coveney going uh, yeah, into the yeah. IDA well, and telling them to cool their jets, can you? Yeah, well, so you're at, we're, at, we're at full employment, yeah, so he's got the He's got a point. Yeah, no, no, no. It's an interesting take, one that hadn't occurred to me before. Jennifer, what were you reading? Well, I'm going to change gear entirely in my imaginary free car um, and pick a completely different topic. So on the front page today, you'll see RT, RT, etc. Um, and also the IFAC giving the government a bit of a bashing around their um, budgetary plans. But on the top of the front page, you will see um, a piece by Patrick Frayne, and it is about the best TV dramas and comedies of 2023 so far. Excellent piece, very well edited. Whoever yeah, did that, who edited that? Extremely well edited. <laughs> Let me check. Oh, out. Hugh yeah. Linehan. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. When he's not doing his Nixers. Yeah, Patrick doesn't need much editing, he, to be fair to him. I bet he doesn't. But um, the reason why I pick this... We should right, definitely send him into the... Uh, we should get him down uh, here. Patrick? Public accounts committee. Oh, we, very good. Yeah, oh my that, God, fantastic. Let's, that would be genuinely fantastic. But um, the reason why I pick it is because there's been so much, sometimes like in a week like this personally, you're so deep into a story and, you know, it's all very heavy and it's all very serious and at the weekend you just want to like tune out. So anyway, he has picked some of his uh, best shows, 2023 Succession. And actually Succession gets a mention in my piece tomorrow. So, ah, yeah. Well, Succession, uh, the last series of Succession yes. was absolutely fantastic. But also this uh, one show I want to reference, Poker Face. If anyone hasn't watched it, I think. Yeah, tell us about Poker Face. Right, so this is about this detective, um, Charlie, 
she knows when people are lying. So if you tell me a lie right now, she spots it immediately. It's her power. And she immediately just says, bullshit, straight away. <laughs> so she knows when you're lying and that's how she detects it. She goes around. She's got this kind of freewheeling lifestyle. She's kind of on the run. And she she's basically... She's kind of like an Oroctus committee member in a way, isn't oh she? Oh my God, exactly. <laughs> I knew it was ringing bells somewhere in the back of my head. But she just goes from like town to town solving... Um, Solving murders, effectively, and it's just... Sort of like Columbo. Sort of like, it's the modern day Columbo, really, really is, and she's just fantastic, and you watch the show and you forget about all of your troubles in your life. That's my weekend recommendation. No, he's, he's got lots of good stuff. He Another show he recommends, which I would recommend, is Beef, which is on Netflix, which is about uh, two people who get into a kind of a, a, a rivalry or, or a kind of a fight to the death, ultimately, after after a minor traffic accident. It's a cost retail for all of us in the modern world if you're driving around in your free car as a brand ambassador. But we will leave it there for the moment. Thanks very much indeed to Pat and to Jen for joining us. Thanks to Declan, who was producing and engineering today. Uh, we'll be back after the week. Weekend. Until then, thanks very much for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.